Thanks again for joining us here on Crunching the Numbers for another episode. We are here with Mark Sapoulos and Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics. Shane, thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. I uh, must admit the three weeks uh, working from home in self-isolation has got me going a little bit crazy. Too many puzzles, I think. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure Mark's got a big job today to try and keep me uh, in line sticking to tennis. <laughs> uh, it's a bit challenging, obviously, at this time of uh, time of the year where everyone's in isolation, but we're here to bring you as much tennis information as we possibly can keep you up to date with what's happening in the tennis world. Uh, obviously, there's not much in terms of on-court, but we can give you the latest in data, and that's why, Shane, you're here to, to give us our next episode and our next topic, which is based around serve ascendancy. So do you want to give uh, the listeners a bit of a background as to, you know, what we're going to talk about today and the reason behind why we're doing it. Yeah, today I thought we'd look at the, the serve, in particular the influence of, of the serve on the outcome of the point. And throughout the podcast, we'll give some tips for the server to try and maximise that influence and the returner to try and overcome it. I'm going to start with a little bit of theory and I can see Mark wince a little bit in the corner there, but I think it's really important to introduce these two um, calculations. They're interrelated terms uh, that will form the basis of the analysis today and really frame our discussion better. So the first is ser service ascendancy. What it tries to do is measure the point at which the server loses the advantage of that first strike, his serve. Um, to work it out, we, we've charted each shot um, after the serve is hit by the server and the corresponding percentage of that point being won by the server. We, we also add in a court positional uh, data to, to, to give the calculations some more um, precision. So it's considered a server loses the ascendancy um, on the shot in the rally where the server is no longer considered on the attack. And coincidentally, it actually lines up with um, the winning percentage of the point uh, dropping to about 50% for the server. Now, the other term I'll introduce is serve impact. Um, and a lot of people have tried to measure the impact of, of the serve. And the first person I've seen sort of doing it with a mathematical approach was Jeff Sackman. And my calculation is a slight variation to his. But basically what it does is it looks at the percentage of the service point that can be credited or attributed to the serve. Um, it looks at a number of things. So aces, unreturned, forced errors. That first shot, um, if, if it happens there, then that's fully credited to the serve. Um, but then it'll look at subsequent shots, so serve plus one, serve plus two, and on a sliding scale, uh, by looking at each shot, it'll attribute something to um, the serve and something to the subsequent shot. And you'll, you'll end up with a serve impact score and a shot impact score, um, which totals 100%. When you talk about, let's let's go to that first topic and talk about the, the losing the advantage side of things. So um, can you be specific in terms of, how do we lose advantage and when can we possibly lose advantage? And what does that mean for me as the player or the coach coaching a player out there? So Mark, I'll try and answer that with an example. Um, if Ash Barty hits three shots after a serve, is still winning 60% of the, the points um, at that point and, and, and she's in an attacking position, then she's considered to still have her service ascendancy. But if on the fourth shot, um, she, her winning percentage drops to about 50%. She's in a more defensive position than we consider her to have lost her service ascendancy. So the service ascendancy really looks for the shot in the rally um, where a player loses the attacking momentum that comes from that serve. Um, and, and they're basically now in a neutral or defensive position and the rally becomes really a battle between the server and returner 
and the outcome is determined by some other subsequent shot, not, not the serve. Hopefully in this podcast, we can provide um, or provoke some thought really about what shots we can hit after the serve to try and keep that attacking momentum going, the service ascendancy. Um, if you're the server and if you switch hats, what can you do as a returner to, to stop that attacking momentum? Um, and you'll notice this topic really ties in well with other topics we've talked about, about maximizing the impact of your, the rally in the first four shots. Okay, so so let's let's talk a little bit about players that probably don't rely as much on the serve um, as as others. So you know you've got your one end of the spectrum, which might be Ivo Karlovic, who you know if he doesn't have serve ascendancy on on the first two balls and finish the point, the point's over for him. You know the rally will then go on and then he'll really struggle. But then you've got players that might just start the point with the serve and then be able to use their ground strokes as their as their weapons. So um, do you look at both of those or do we average out those those sort of data statistics. So in the analysis, Mark, we're, we're looking at four years of shot data on both the ATP and WTA tours. So, so naturally you capture uh, players with different strengths and weaknesses in that data set. Um, uh, and for, for our listeners, I'll, I'll try and share some um, summarized uh, statistics and, and tables from, from the data set in, in the coming weeks on our social media channels. Um, but I actually think the question you asked, Mark, um, you, is quite important in illustrating why looking at serve ascendancy and impact together is a good way of identifying clusters of players that rely on the serve in different ways. So you can look at that cluster, see the characteristics of that cluster. You can coach them a little bit different uh, to, to a player in another cluster. Um, and conversely, you can, if you're playing these players, you can look at certain things uh, about how you approach that match. So the Karlovics of the world, they'd have a high score in the serve impact. In fact, nearly 75% of his uh, first serve points are credited to that first shot. But he loses ascendancy, the attacking momentum, quicker than the average tour player. Whereas if you look at a player like Stefanos Sissipas, doesn't have uh, such a high serve impact score. But what he does do uh, when the first ball comes into play is he's uh, able to uh, continue whatever advantage he's got. So the ascendancy, he keeps going with the second, third, fourth shots, he keeps that going. I think that's a really big point. The, the biggest um, concern for me with the players I work with a lot of the time is that they'll serve the ball and that first ball that comes in, they don't take that initial strike. And if you don't take that initial strike, you basically almost lose the ascendancy from that first ball. And I think what we, we as coaches need to push, obviously if you're a parent out there helping your child or if you're a player out there on the court is, it's not just what you do on the serve. It's that first ball and that first opportunity to strike. We as players need to take that. Because if we don't take that, then the opponent will take it and push us back and then we lose ascendancy within two or three shots. Yep. And I think that becomes critical to, to us winning or losing that point. Yeah. So let's look at some high-level stats um, um, with, with serve ascendancy um, and then we can look at specific players later. So first, the, the first serve... Um, on the men's side, uh, on by the fourth shot, the, the men lose the service ascendancy and for the women, they, they lose it uh, by the third shot. And on the second serve, the men lose it by the third shot and uh, women lose it on the second shot. Mark, what are your tips um, for a server to try and maintain that ascendancy? And, and uh, conversely, what are your tips for the returner to try and uh, counter the server's ascendancy? Oh, look, I, I always um, am a big believer that we've got to play to our strengths. So especially on the big moments where it's critical critical scoring systems like a 30-all, a juice, a break point, 
I think we've got to look to serve to our favorite serve, regardless of whether you feel like the opponent will read that ball. And once you serve to your favorite point, favorite uh, serve, I think it's important for them to follow up with your best shot. Now, if, if you're if you're out there playing and you're just you're comfortable with playing any shot on the court, okay, that's fine. But I feel like the best players in the world, male and female, will serve and utilize the forehand to generate as much uh, ascendancy in the point early as they possibly can. Um, on the flip side, the returner has to neutralize that. So if you're out there returning, it, it could be your court position that might help you neutralize that. It could be the ability to step into the court and really drive the returns as opposed to just sort of put the ball back. It might be the ability to play through the middle of the court. And a lot of the players these days are playing return through the middle of the court to try and neutralize the rally and not give too much angle on that first ball. And I feel like over time, this probably ploy has taken more of a, a front seat in that players are now male and female returning more through the center to try and not allow the opponent to get that first strike angle and have to go first strike through the court. And if a player has to go first strike through the baseline, that then keeps me inside the court a little longer and it doesn't make me get on the run. So then if I'm not on the run, I can actually have a better strike on my next shot. So it becomes either the, the for me, it's the challenge of are you winning the serve first strike or the return first strike? Um, and if you can do either one of those, you become uh, obviously in control of the point. And if you're in control of the point, you probably win that point more often than not. So, um, you know, obviously it's a, it's a really important part of the, the game now. And I think we talked about the first four shots in our previous episodes where it's, it's important to win that, that zero to four point ratio. Um, and if you're not winning that, you're going to lose a majority of your matches. So going back to that second measure, serve impact, um, the calculated data on the tour shows that the serve has more of an impact on the grass with about 70% of first serve outcomes on the men's side, ATP, uh, credited to that first shot, the serve, and nearly 60% on the WTA. The other end of the spectrum, um, we've got clay, which, uh, with 55% of the, um, the points, the first serve points, credited to the, the very first shot, the serve, um, 35% on the WTA tour. So I'm going to ask you a two-parter, Mark. What are your tips for serving on grass? Uh, and because you get some assistance from the surface uh, and more point out outcomes are decided by the serve on grass, should you be serving within yourself or going for a little bit more? Oh, look, I think, you know, there's a, a huge part played by the environment we play in. There's no doubt that all the surfaces will throw up a different element of what we think about when we play. And I think as a player, if we're not thinking about those elements that we're in a bit of trouble. I guess like the, the one thing that, that I hear a lot of, when we talk about elements that, are, that affect us, it's not just the court surface, but it could be the wind. Um, and you hear players out there and, um, you know, if you're out there and you're a coach or you're a parent and you're listening to this, you'd be, you'd be hearing constantly from your players, your kids saying, oh, it was windy, I couldn't serve. You know, I think that's a total crock because at the end of the day, you know, the, the elements help us to achieve things that we need to achieve. So when we do play on grass, as you said, Shane, utilizing the slice serve where the ball just takes off is a real critical component. Um, the more you, you know, maybe kick serve or the more you hit a flat serve, the ball might hit right in the zone um, and allow our play, the opponent to have a better strike on the return. So you have to use the elements to the best of your ability. Now, those elements might mean that you might, um, if you feel like the grass slice serve 
is the best serve, but the opponent has a weaker backhand return, you can still slice it into the backhand. So therefore the ball actually takes off on the grass as well and jams them up. So you can still use that element, but you can then tailor it to the opponent as well and go, well, they struggle in this situation. Let's utilize this serve. Um, you know, you might think of, you know, obviously grass is the slice serve that we need to utilize more clay. Obviously with clay being a slower kind of environment, you know, you, you, try, you might try and nail the serve, but the opponent probably has a deeper court position. So you really have to think about what first shot do you really want to get back? You know, and you see a lot of players on the clay will really hit a heavy kick serve, force the opponent right back on the backhand wing so they can't generate force, and then take the time on the forehand to really load up. So I think the elements for me, Shane, are really important because we, we only if we're only looking at data, if we're only looking at the player's strengths and weaknesses and not focusing in on what the elements are giving us also, then we're not, we're taking away a big part of what can and can't be done on serve. So um, there's a lot of things that need to be taken into account when you stand up the line, ready to serve and, and elements is definitely one of them. Yeah. So Mark, you touched on clay before. One of the common misconceptions uh, that I hear is that the serve is not important on clay. Um, the numbers show that the service shot is still credited to about 55% of point outcomes on the clay on the ATP and 35% on the WTA. So these are still some substantial numbers. Um, I might ask you, uh, what different kinds of serves should you be hitting on the clay to get something from the surface? Um, and, and then also what serves um, work well to set up the point so the player can maintain that ascendant to keep it going longer? Good question. Like I, the, 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 I wanted to come buddy on to, into that last question because we talked about the serve not being as important. People also say volleys are not important on clay. But yet, you know, the volley, the volley ratio, winning ratio at the net is more significant probably on clay than most other surfaces. Um, so I feel like we, we put surfaces into a pigeonhole and say we can or can't do something on this surface. It used to be you can't stay back on grass. And now you look on Wimbledon and all the, the wear marks are at the back of the baseline. You know, everybody's staying back. And everyone used to say that you can't come to net on clay. And all of a sudden, the winning ratio on clay becomes, becomes larger now. So I feel like we, we do this a lot. And I think now when we talk about the serve on the clay, obviously, depending on who you are, it depends on what serve you need to hit. So if you want time on your first strike, you're probably going to kick serve. Um, you want to get the ball up and jump it up and push them back. Or if you've got a big serve and you can utilize that, you might nail the serve and obviously get them stretching and then get your first strike through that. You might try and look at the body serve. You might try and look at, you know, trying to slice them and, and if they're standing so far back and slice it short, so therefore they have to move forward and, get, and you create more angle. It really depends on who you are and what your better serves are. You're not going to say to Evo Karlovic, take away your 230K bomb and just roll the first serve in. So... I think it's playing to each other's strength or playing to your strengths is the most important part about any kind of serving and not taking that away just dependent on surface. I hear you, I hear. So understand the subtleties of the surface, but stick to your strengths. I'm going to read out a few players and I, and I want to hear the first thing that comes to your head when I, when I say it. Ivo Karlovic, John Isner, Riley Apelka, Kenny DeShepard, Marius Kopel. Uh, they're tall. They've got massive serves. Um... And probably not as strong off the back of the court. Yeah, you're spot on. These are four uh, big guys. Four of them are pushing six nine, six ten, or above, and uh, and they've all served over 240 kilometres at some stage. 
Um, but you, you alluded to the other point that they're not as strong from the back of the court. So there's a couple of reasons why, why I read that list out. Um, the first is if you plot serve impact and serve ascendancy for, for, for the tour, you'll notice that these players fall into a cluster that's considerably distinguishable from the rest of the tour. Um, and the, the characteristics of this cluster include well, they're highly, the service points, uh, in particular, the first serve are highly impacted by the first shot to serve. But two, they uh, lose the serve ascendancy within three shots of their serve. So if you're a returner and you can withstand two or more shots from them, uh, you're, you're most probably at a neutral position now. And every shot after that, you, you turns into your advantage. Much easier said than done. The other key characteristics of this group are they... Um, don't win uh, the, the five, any, any rallies over five shots, really. They, they start to lose more than they win. But it's important to contrast this with someone like Nick Kyrgios, who uh, most tennis um, uh, observers and commentators w- would agree has uh, arguably or in the top three or four best serves in the game at the moment. But he actually falls outside this cluster of players because uh, he can maintain his serve ascendancy longer with his subsequent shots. So his forehand, he can do a lot of damage with that and continue um, the ascendancy for, for a lot longer. Now, I, I am going somewhere with this uh, because the second reason I mentioned this group of players um, was I, I worked on a team last year with a player and a coach and, and they, they ended up playing um, players in this cluster, four, four of them, in fact. Um, and, and, and generally, we, we go into to a lot of the matches uh, with the mantra of primarily focusing on the strength and, and, um, and doing what, whatever we can to, to maximise that. But uh, we deviate a little bit from the, the, the mantra um, because we, we identified how disproportionately players in this cluster relied on their serve in comparison to other parts of the game. Um, and I'll mention something uh, a bit later uh, from a practical point of view, what, what the coach and the player did to prepare. But before I do that, Mark, if you have a, I might ask you a question. If you have a player under your wing that has an incredible serve, but is weaker in other parts of their game, how much time do you put into improving his weakness compared to developing the strength more? It's a good, it's a great question you ask. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I have these these debates with people all the time. Do you work on as a coach the strengths of the athlete, or do you work on the weaknesses of the athlete? and try and get them to a level. Now, if you work on things that um, are not great in someone's game and you put so much emphasis on that, what happens to the strength of the player? Does it continually get better or does it stay the same? Um, and I'm glad you brought up that, that example. And I can guarantee you guys, listeners out there, this is not a setup. But um, I, we had an opportunity, a player I was coaching practice with Ivo Karlovic at the Australian Open a few years ago. Um, and his whole practice was based around just serve. Literally. There was no rally stuff. It was just serve and it was point play. Um, and the, the biggest problem I find is, oh, he, every time he's at a, a tournament, and I feel for this guy, and this is, I have, I, you can probably give me a data, but he's been in the top 50 for probably 10 years. Um, or top 100 for 10 years, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah, it's 17 times in a row in the top 100. Now, nobody in any tournament signs up to practice with Ivo Karlovic. Nobody. He cannot find a practice partner. Why? Because you can't get anything out of a session with him because he serves aces and unreturnables. So <clears throat> I think, we'll go back to your question, is that 
I feel like you need to practice your strengths a lot more than you need to practice your, your weaker areas of your game and make your strengths that strong that they can't be broken. And Evo, when we practiced with him, my goodness, it was incredible. Like uh, my player was having a break. I stepped on the court to do some return to serve because Evo wanted to practice more serve. And the ball was bouncing above my head. And, you know, I'm five foot 11. The ball was bouncing above my head on a first serve. And, you know, you, you feel like you just cannot break him. And that's how he stayed at the top of the game for so long. He gets every set to a tie break. Um, he may not be able to return serve as well, but you know what? He's always a chance yeah. uh, when he gets to a breaker. So, you know, these are the kind of things that I, I think are really important to weigh up when you're a coach out there or you're a player and you're thinking about your game is how much time do you spend in your strengths and how much time should you spend on the weaker areas of your game? And uh, it's a really important thing to, to weigh up because you don't want to get that wrong. So just to complete the story I raised earlier, the, the team uh, I worked with didn't want to stray too much from the player's strength, but did want to try a few things to try and minimise the impact of the strength of the other players. So some of the practical things that we did uh, when versing players in this cluster were to practice like reality. Um, so the coach was actually on the service line, uh, replicating the speed, trajectory, height, angle. Um, on the serve and the player continually uh, faced returns uh, before the match. Uh, from those positions. Uh, one of the other tactics that we'd come up with was to continually adjust the return positions, um, mainly on the ad side, to throw um, the rhythm of these players off a little bit. Um, and so in practice, that's what we did. Um, and I, I remember sit, sitting on the sideline, the player continually um, adjusted from a shorter return position to a deeper one, but did that in practice. Uh, and then was able to take that into the match and it felt more comfortable in the match doing that. Uh, the other part, which we, we also use data for, um, we identified that this cluster of players uh, generally play very fast in between points. So usually less than 20 seconds, they're back on the line serving again. They play even faster if they win the previous point. So um, our guy, the data said that he, he actually likes to have about 20 to 25% on return games um, and he returns better. So we, we wanted to maximize that. So within the allowable limits of the game, we, we looked at ways to s slow the opponent down. So put the hand up, get a, get a towel. Um, all of those things helped in, in reducing the rhythm of the, the opponent. And, and they served a bit uh, in all of those matches. We actually ended up uh, fortunately winning all of them. Um, and um, the first serve percentage was actually a bit lower than their, their general average. So I know that's an example. Um, one example, and I know all players are different, so you can't necessarily take that kind of approach. But a general question for you, Mark, when you identify an area that's such a liability for the opponent, how do you find the balance between exploiting the weakness and not deviating too much from your player's strength? I reckon this is a podcast in itself, my friend. <laughs> this is going to be a, this could be a long-winded answer, but I guess the short, the short answer to it is uh, whenever I develop a game plan, it's based around 80% what, we can control 20% the opponent. Um, you know, you, you don't want to be changing your game and what you've practiced for so long and, and your style of game. You don't want to change that just because you're playing against um, someone who, who has a great forehand or, or a serve volley. Um, you know, you, if you're Rafael Nadal, your strength is your forehand. You don't want to be playing, you know, just because you're playing Roger Federer, he wants to come to the net. You don't want to try and come to the net before him. You know, it's, it's, it's really important to make sure that you play to your strengths more than anything and, uh, and stick to 80% of what you can control. So um, I reckon you've just hit, hit the nail on the head with a new podcast for us coming up. I reckon we can, yep. we can talk about um, game planning and, 
and uh, different ways of beating opponents because I think that is a really big element. But um, is there anything, one last uh, thing from you, Shane? Thanks, Mark. The uh, 80-20 analogy you mentioned where 80% of the focus is on the strength uh, is, is a great point to end on, in my opinion. Um, with the data work I've done with players, we, we certainly focus on using the data on the strengths of our players to address the weaknesses of the opponents as opposed to letting the tail wag the dog where you look at the opponent's weakness and then trying to reinvent the player to match that. So parents and coaches out there, uh, my recommendation is try and get some video of your players, your squad, tag those matches and then use measures like serve ascendancy and serve impact to segment cluster your players. Um, similar to how most businesses would segment their customers and tailor their approach to dealing and helping them, do that with um, your tennis athletes. And, and don't lose sight of that 80-20 approach in focusing 80% uh, on the strengths of that cluster and 20% on the weaknesses. But a tailored approach is really recommended. Before we end on to today, um, I, I'd like to throw it back to Mark and really get some takeaways for our listeners um, to try and maximise and keep this service ascendancy going. Yeah, I guess like I, I've got four points here that I um, that I wrote down as we were talking, and I think the first one was set, uh, serve to set up your plus one. Don't just serve. I think that's important. I, I think uh, I'm not sure the percentage of points that will finish in an ace for most players, but it's not going to be a huge element for a lot of players. So make sure you set up, serve to set up the plus one. Um, it's the per- person who gets the first strike that will get a tendency for the rest of the point. So if you serve and get a first strike in, which is a really solid first strike, you probably gain ascendancy. Uh, the returner, obviously on the flip side, needs to be able to take, take away that ascendancy from the server. So return to get that first strike and usually the, the through the middle ball is the most important. The third point for me was serve to your strength. So critical moments is where people start to, oh, they know I'm serving to the back end, I better change it. You know, for me, it's not about that. It's like, well, if that is working for you and that is your favorite serve, continue that in the big moments. I feel like we change things only for the sake of changing it because we think the opponent knows where we're going. It's irrelevant. If you serve it well enough, Nadal plays a forehand every ball he can. Everybody knows he's going to play it. Everyone knows where he's going to play it. But he plays it that well that you can't get it back. So I feel like we've got to play to our strengths more often. And the last point was use the elements. So whether it be the court, whether it be the wind, whether it be the sun, whether it be whatever it is on the, that you can utilize, use it because you need to be able to highlight those things and use it to your advantage. It might be a 10% difference, but that 10% could be the difference in you winning or losing the match. So they're my four takeaway points for today's, uh, today's podcast, Shane. And I do appreciate your time as always. The, the, the amount of research you do is, is incredible. You can find Shane at Data Driven Sports Analytics all over uh, social media, uh, Shane Leonage as well. Follow him. He's got so many social media things happening, uh, so many different data that you do put up uh, weekly, daily. Um, so thank you so much again for your time and, and, and what you do for, for this podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you've had a great week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for joining us once again here on Crunching the Numbers. Uh, you're again with Mark Zafoulis and Shane Leonage. Follow us on uh, the tennis menu and data-driven sports analytics for more around the tennis. And we'll keep you up to date as much as we possibly can here on Crunching the Numbers. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.